Production support comes from Smithville, a locally owned business serving central and southern Indiana since 1922 with residential and business internet, phone, and security services. Smithville, local pride, global technology. Information at smithville.net. Welcome to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg, editor of the Herald Times, along with co-host Mary Catherine Carmichael. Today we're going to be talking about uh, the issue of whether Hoosiers should be able to legally drink raw milk. We have three guests with us, two in the studio and one on the phone. We have Brett Marsh, the state veterinarian from the Indiana Board of Animal Health. Larry Howard is here in the studio. He is a raw milk consumer and advocate. And Luann Troxell is joining us by phone. She's the president of the Indiana Dairy Producers. If you want to join us on the program, you can phone us at 855-0811 in Bloomington or 1-877-285-9348 from outside of the Bloomington calling area. Also, the web address is wfiu.org slash noon edition. Mary Catherine has a live chat up, and she'll see I do. Comments. We've already got some people commenting. All right. Okay. Well, so uh, we hope that you all join us on the program. So thank you all for being here with us today. I wanted to, to sort of toss out uh, just a general question and get you all to, to make some general comments first. I, when I was looking at some things online, uh, you know, I saw a lot of news stories. You know, one of the headlines was raw milk debate, white hot <laughs> One was raw milk debate heats up. One raw milk debate contentious. I mean, this is a really emotional sort of hot uh, issue. And, uh, you know, for, I don't know, sometimes for a guy like me, I, I don't really understand why the emotion is so great with it. So I just wanted to get all you three to comment on that. And uh, let's start with, with Larry, who's a raw milk consumer and advocate. Great, great. Yeah, it is a contentious issue. And I think it's not so much that it's about raw milk. I think it's more fundamentally that it has to do with people's right to pursue the kinds of food that they want and, and to obtain that and to consume it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Brett? Well, I appreciate the opportunity to be here today. Sure. And at the Board of Animal Health, we're responsible for the dairy products inspection program. So we provide on-farm dairy inspection for all the grade A dairy farms across the state as well as all the processing facilities. And we're dealing with a statute that's been in place for many decades that says that all milk that is produced and sold for human consumption is to be pasteurized. Mm -hmm. And so uh, folks like Larry across our state and around the country have an interest in consuming raw milk and trying to determine how how best to accomplish that when the the laws prohibit it. And Mm -hmm. so that's what basically generates the discussion on how you how you uh, consume and uh, acquire a product when there's a, a law that prohibits it. Okay. And Luann's joining us by phone. Thank you for being here, Luann. Well, hi. Um, so I hope you heard my opening question. Could you comment on why you think this is such an emotional issue? Well, I guess, you know, I'm a dairy farmer, so we actually are out there milking the cows twice a day every day. And, you know, it is a contentious issue in some, some ways. And in other ways, I, I don't think it has to be. Um, so I guess I, you know, have a few different viewpoints on it. First of all, I think it is just wonderful for people to want to drink milk. To me, that's wonderful. That's what we do, and we know how wonderful it is. We love the industry we're in. And so, you know, it's pretty hard to try to, for me, I, I don't like to see a bunch of polarization in the industry that I love. Mm-hmm. However, we also believe that we have... Oh, you know, kind of a, a reputation or or something that we have to protect as well. And the good image that there is of milk is is important to us as well. Mm-hmm. You know, that's our livelihood. That's our that's what we do to, to that's how we um, provide for our families. So we have a pretty vested interest in in trying to make sure that that image is is good. Yeah, before we go any farther, I think we need to go ahead and talk about what the pros and cons of raw milk are. So, um, Larry, do you want to talk about the pros of, of raw milk as you see it? Well, aside from just what I said before, that, that just the issue of being able to pursue and get the food that you want, um, uh, raw milk was something that we started drinking about um, seven years ago. And with us, and this is just anecdotally, it's just us, um, we had been having problems with my, my youngest son not being able to keep any of his food down. Um, 
he was uh, constantly spitting up his food. My, my wife was uh, breastfeeding at the time. And uh, we started looking for you know, solutions to this because he wasn't gaining weight and so forth and mm-hmm. having these problems. And so she started restricting her diet in various ways to try to find, you know, figure out you know, what was the cause of this. And uh, she noticed that when she cut back on dairy products that this problem seemed to improve. Um, but we obviously didn't want to um, you know, cut dairy, dairy out of her diet or the rest of us. So um, some people mentioned to us raw milk as a possibility. And um, amazingly enough, when we had made the switch to, um, to raw milk, um, those problems went away. Luckily, also, uh, our daughter, who was a couple years older than him, who had been really struggling with ear infections and asthma attacks, um, also we saw an amazing improvement in her condition. Um, and so for us, it's just been a very personal thing that um, this, is, you know, this has really been something that has been a solution for us. Um, and so we certainly don't want to lose the freedom um, to continue pursuing that opportunity to, to keep our children healthy. We've had, um, we've been drinking it day in, day out for seven years now. Um, and our children have, I don't think they've gone to a doctor because of an illness since, since that time. Um, and so I just, I see great health benefits from it from a personal perspective and would hate to, I know other people do too, and I would hate to see them lose that, that, uh, that opportunity to have it. Mm-hmm. Brett, what, what what are the cons as you see them? Well, I think one of the things that uh, we've been met with as an agency, uh, at the, again, at the State Board of Animal Health, is the legislature called upon our office to do a study mm-hmm. uh, to evaluate uh, the sale of raw milk to consumers in Indiana. And as you know, there's a prohibition on the books, and there was some interest in the legislative process this last session, so they sent it to our agency to take a look. Uh, and in, in taking a look at this issue, and of course it's not a new one, it's been around for a long time, it's been in Indiana and debated for a long time as well as many states across the country, we decided that there were some things we certainly need to do, and one was to uh, ad- establish an advisory panel and say, let's bring in some people who are in the dairy industry, those who are milking cows, milking goats, processing dairy products, etc., so that we can get some input from them. We recognize that we wouldn't be able to establish a way for everybody to meet on any particular day, so we opened up what we called a virtual public hearing. And so you could go online at any time of the day or night for a 90-day period of time and say, tell us what you think. Mm -hmm. And so folks who who aren't specifically engaged in that process at the advisory panel could at least participate in the process. And as a result of that, I've reviewed there's 800 and some comments came in as a result of that. And many of those, and the majority of those, were pro-raw milk sales. So we've had a chance to review uh, uh, stories, much like what Larry has shared, et cetera. What we have to do in our agency is balance the stories that he has shared with those from those individuals that have had challenges with raw milk from a public health standpoint. Uh, we, uh, we take the recommendations from the FDA from the Centers for Disease Control as they took a look at the national picture for what the experience has been with raw milk products. And some of the data that's coming from there suggests that there is a higher risk associated with an unpasteurized product. High risk for what? High risk for disease, uh, and like. whether it's salmonella, E. coli, campylobacter, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Uh, fortunately, the health of the dairy herds has improved significantly over the decades because of animal health programs that are out there. But unfortunately, we have some of these organisms that are everywhere. And unfortunately, many of those are associated with the manure or the fecal material from cattle. Mm-hmm. And so if we can separate those two, we have a, a better product. And we've always, in the process, had this kill step, if you will, for those organisms through pasteurization. So in the absence of that, we need to balance uh, an individual's opportunity to choose to drink the, the raw milk product against the public health challenges that may be associated with it. And that's really the challenge of the agency through this study, is to take a look at all sides of the issue, and if indeed there is a way to provide for the sale of that product that reduces the risk since we know that it is a high-risk food. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, Pam, when, or, or Luann, I'm sorry, when uh, milk is pasteurized, does that kill off, um, in addition to the disease uh, potential that uh, Brett mentioned, does that also kill off uh, like active cultures and things like that that are, are, are known to be good for us? Well, so when you do heat milk for pasteurization, it kills 
many of the bacteria in milk. I mean, we're not sterilizing milk when it's pasteurized. It, you know, it's not sterile. Mm-hmm. If you leave milk sit out on the counter, it will eventually spoil well, rather quickly, and that's because there is still bacteria in it. So I think it's important to realize that we're not, we're not sterilizing milk with pasteurization. That's a great point. And, and so I think that, um, you know, certainly the problem with bacteria in milk is that there are the potential for harmful bacteria, but it will also kill possibly some beneficial bacteria. I think that that is true. However, um, sometimes the evidence that we've seen on that beneficial bacteria, it's a little bit hard to look at scientific papers and see what that is. I think it's really interesting to hear the anecdotal stories that Larry is sharing, and I think they're powerful. I really do. But I've also heard stories and know some people who have been sickened some rather violently by by drinking something that had something in it that was really not good for them at all. And those people oftentimes say that they didn't understand the risks when they were drinking that or consuming those products. So I think that what we're looking at is to try to find a balance here. Mm-hmm. I think everybody wants the freedom to choose the food that they want. I certainly do. Um, I, and, and I think that it's also important from Dr. Marsh's standpoint that he's in charge of trying to make sure that those products are as safe as they can be. Mm-hmm. There's no way we're going to eliminate all risk. And I don't think Larry is suggesting in any way that he thinks that we should you know, eliminate all risk or that there is no risk mm-hmm. of consuming raw milk. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, I do think that it is true that there are some things that are probably killed through pasteurization. I, I do think that's true. But I think it's important to look at two things. First of all, one of the main reasons we do drink milk is for calcium. Mm-hmm. And calcium is not degenerated at all by pasteurization. We're looking at millions of children through this country that are really deficit on calcium. And I think it's important to point that out. That's an important factor. And I also think that we have to look at our lifestyles a little bit. Pasteurization has, uh, it lengthens, lengthens the shelf life of milk considerably. And there may be some people that will consume a gallon of milk in, in a day or a couple days, but most of us do not. And so that alone makes it very difficult for raw milk to be an option for, for these families on the go that have a gallon of milk in the fridge for, you know, several weeks, and, and, or, you know, they have to watch those dates, even with pasteurized milk. And I guess one more thing, if we want to get live cultures and, and, and the, you know, important beneficial bacteria, they are available in yogurt products all the time. And so if that's an important thing, there are always those choices, and they don't have the safety risks. All right. Thank you, Luann. Let me give you our phone numbers again, 855-0811 in Bloomington, 877-285-9348. Outside of the Bloomington calling area, also our web address is wfiu.org slash noon edition. We have a caller I'm going to get to in just a second, but I want to ask Larry real quickly, um, because you have been drinking raw milk for seven years. You You have your own herd? No, we don't. We don't. You don't. Okay, so but you know where we we I, have a share in in uh, in a herd, mm-hmm. and so the, that part of the ownership allows us to get milk from that. Why not? Is that I, legal? Yes, of course. Yeah, it's just a private contract. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. I saw uh, Larry speak about his farm uh, recently. Um, just this week at a, at a Rotary Club meeting, and so I know that a lot of what you talked about is is you know the animals that you have keeping them healthy, and and uh, Dr. Marsh mentioned you know the health of the dairy herd is an important thing. So for you, I would think, and you you know you certainly can speak for yourself, but I would think the fact that you can go and look at the herd and you know exactly where the milk is coming from is probably an important factor. Yeah, and this is I think this is something that's overlooked too, and. I think the general public probably knows know much about this, but there really are two different products we're talking about here. I mean, we're talking about um, an industrial product versus an artisanal product, and I think that makes a difference too. The way the animals are fed, and, it, and I think anyone would agree with this, has a great deal to do with their health. Health, and um, and so uh, yeah, I mean, the people who support raw milk typically aren't looking to get raw milk from an industrial system uh, bulk tank at one of these commercial dairies. Um, where animals are fed on a large scale um, out of bins and things like that. They're looking for animals that are out in the sunlight, breathing fresh air, and eating grass, um, which is what they're designed to eat. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, there's a difference there that needs to be pointed out. Um, 
and there, there are so many aspects and nuances to this, but in terms of the, the probiotic effect, um, yeah, I would agree that, that pasteurization is um, destroying a lot of that probiotic effect. And this is an area of active research right now. Um, and we do have some major studies out related to asthma and uh, so, you know, showing an inverse, study, inverse uh, relationship between asthma and the consumption of raw milk. So uh, there are some positive things there. Um, also, I think with respect to destroying um, calcium, you know, uh, 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 Luann is absolutely right. Um, but something that has to be considered, too, is a lot of the other enzymes that make these minerals bioavailable. And so it gets very complicated in terms of trying to describe this and go back and forth. There's just a lot to consider um, with regard to that. I hope that answers your question. Sure. Yeah. I just want to, again, before I go to our caller, is to find out the, the specifics of the law. Brett, what, what does the law say? Is it, is it uh, illegal to drink unpasteurized milk or, is it just, or, or purchase it or, you know, how's that work? Yeah, that's a great question. One of the things that we've always been careful about over the years is that if I own a cow and I milk my cow, you can consume the product from your cow. I mean, uh, we're not in the business of going into uh, <laughs> the cow that, police. Uh, that sort of thing. So we, we haven't been in that. Now, it gets a little fuzzier when you want to milk a cow and then it's friends or it's neighbors or it's other arrangements because the law is pretty specific about all the milk uh, that is produced if it's going elsewhere would be a uh, pasteurized product. And indeed, there are those that have, as Larry's indicated, that it belonged to cow shares, so they buy a share in, in an operation. Mm-hmm. In other states, we haven't taken this uh, to court in Indiana, but in other states, that's viewed as a way to circumvent the prohibition for the sale of raw milk. So, And I've been in a number of conversations, and if I buy a share in a cow share, what am I buying? Well, they tell me I'm buying milk. Well, that's the sale of raw milk. Uh, so we also have boarding agreements. So I'm not buying milk. I'm paying someone to board my cow. And uh, the services provided include milking, et cetera. So there's, there are lots of discussions about how to, to accomplish the task, if you will, if you really want to get to the raw milk product. And that's one of the, the issues before the advisory panel and what the legislature is really trying to sort out. And said, if, if we go from a total prohibition, what is plan B? What would Plan B look like if you wanted to move mm-hmm. from A to B, uh, particularly in considering, to Larry's point, my freedom to choose mm-hmm. versus the public health interest if I'm moving the product off of my farm where the cows are milked to someone else mm-hmm. who may not be aware uh, of whatever risks may be associated with that, uh, may be looking for health benefits and still not be fully aware of the potential health risks. And so, again, that's part of the whole challenge of putting this study together to make sure it's as balanced as it can be. Okay. Well, we need to go to the phones because Jerry has been very uh, patient with us. So, Jerry, go ahead. Yes. Hi. Go right ahead. I'm uh, sitting here at my telephone with a box of Parmalat. This is a quart of whole milk. Treated with UHT, and uh, its shelf life is good until February of 2013. Now, this ultra-high temperature, uh, I guess you could call it pasteurization, really tastes a great deal more like raw milk than uh, what you buy in the store. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's just delightful for people like me who don't use milk much, and I won't have to open this box until I get a recipe calling for some milk. And then after I open it, I'll put it in the fridge, and I'll have a week to use it up. Okay. okay. Reaction? It's just handy as it can be. Well, you know, this is Luann talking, and I, I actually think that what you're looking at is a product that has been heated to a very high level, and that's why she has an extended shelf life. Exactly. Um, we see that as a very common product um, over in Europe. Uh, it's what they use a lot. Um, but typically, the thought is that, that it does change the taste. Some people describe the taste as a more cooked taste. It certainly isn't the same as raw milk. I, you know, I think it's important to all. point that I out, that, that it isn't, um, and that it's heated to a higher level than normal pasteurization, and thus you have the extended shelf life. I know Dr. Marsh knows a lot more about that than I do, but um, there's, it's definitely not the same product at all. 
But when I was a child, I drank uh, raw milk from our two cows that we milked into a pail and then poured from a pail into a crock through cheesecloth, and it sat in the uh, spring house in the water uh, for several hours. Then my mother would skim it and save the cream for my father's coffee and the churn. Mm-hmm. And we drank the skim milk, which was so rich and flavorful. Mm-hmm. Sounds delicious. Larry, you had a comment. You to make. Yeah, yeah. Um, a couple of things. I just, you know, it just triggered my memory when you're talking about the shelf life of these things. Well, with the milk that we get, it's you know refrigerated from the time it's milked um, all the way to pretty much when it gets to our door, because um, it's in coolers the whole time, and then it's in our refrigerator. And um, usually it doesn't last for ten days, but if it does, um, it's just fine. And then at that point, it's starting to just gradually sour. And, in fact, for ages, people have taken milk like that, and we've even tried this, setting it out on the counter and letting it clabber um, because it will, it will do that. And the beneficial bacteria in there being an environment um, where they can kind of you know, shut out any uh, uh, pathogens that might be there, take over. And it's just like fermenting a product, for instance, like yogurt. That's how yogurt's made, for instance, by well, fermenting it with the culture. you can that and, mm-hmm. and get cottage cheese right from your stove. It's sure. delicious. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other thing I'd like to mention, too, is that I know that uh, some uh, – Dr. Marsh mentioned cow shares being a way possibly looked at as a way of circumventing the law, but um, it, it might be viewed that way in some states, but the fact is that people for, for centuries, if not millennia, have been paying other people um, to, to milk their cows for them. You know, people usually in cities uh, don't want to necessarily um, do that job every day. So that's something that's been pretty common throughout history is for people to pay other people to, to milk their cows uh, for them. So I don't see it as a way... Um, at all of circumventing the law because it certainly predates pasteurization laws by many, many centuries. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, we've had several comments come in online. I want to share some of these with you. Um, one of them, as Drew says, it makes that unpasteurized milk makes better yogurt and cheese. Uh, Jessica says that her dad used to drink it, never had lactose issues like he does with pasteurized milk, uh, didn't like winter milk, though. So that's an interesting uh, twist on this. Here's another comment. Uh, it, uh, raw milk is great when it comes from healthy cows. Been drinking for over three years. Tastes better and health is much better. Uh, let's see. Here's another one. Um, raw milk from grass-fed cows is the only milk to drink. Read the untold story of milk. Uh, here's another one. We're coming in very strong pro online. Here's another one. Um, we drank raw goat milk for years due to allergies, no problems ever, and we knew the farmer well. Happy goats. I'm all for happy goats. Okay, let's see. Uh, let's see if I have any other public... Sorry, guys, I'm scrolling down, see if we have any other public comment. Uh, here we go. I absolutely love raw cheese from raw milk. It is very beneficial to our body uh, due to enzymes, and it tastes great. Uh, let's see. Uh, I had raw milk for the first time on a farm in New Zealand in March. It was the most flavorful, rich, delicious stuff I've ever had. Um, here's somebody uh, getting on the local issue. It says, how about drinking something local? Fresh from grass-fed cows, not something mass-produced. Raw milk. So coming on, here's one more. I've never had a problem making yogurt with pasteurized milk. In fact, my best yogurt is made with pasteurized milk. So um, a lot of different comments coming in. Uh, trying, And we've got a couple of online um, uh, surveys going on. Love for you to participate in those. Take advantage of that during the break, and we'll resu- we will um, an- announce the results of those uh, after the break. IndianaPublicMedia.org slash Noon Edition. All right. I want to thank Jerry for calling before we go to break, and I also want to thank all those people for yeah. sending us those, uh, hot those topic. messages. Uh, that's right. It's a hot topic. We're talking about uh, raw milk today and Indiana's uh, laws about it. Uh, if you want to join us in the second half of the program, please do. I'll give you the numbers right after the break. You're listening to Noon Edition. This is Noon Edition on WFIU. Production support comes from Smithville. Information at smithville.net. You can take WFIU with you by downloading podcasts directly to your PC, Mac, or MP3 player. Programs such as Noon Edition, Ask the Mayor, and Harmonia. 
and short features like Kinsey Confidential, the Ether Game musical mini quiz, and play and opera reviews are all available on demand. Pick them up at WFIU.org. And have you heard WFIU's news features? The WFIU News Team brings you expanded and in-depth reports on topics affecting South Central Indiana. Catch the Friday feature just after 8.30 during Morning Edition, just before Noon Edition, and at 5.45 during All Things Considered. They're also archived on our website, WFIU.org. Welcome back to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg, editor of the Herald Times, along with Mary Catherine Carmichael, our co-host. Today we're talking about uh, raw milk and whether Hoosiers should be able to legally uh, buy and drink raw milk. We have three guests, two in the studio and one on the telephone. Our guest on the phone is Luann Troxel, president of the Indiana Dairy Producers. Here in the studio, we have Larry Howard, a raw milk consumer and advocate, and Brett Marsh, state veterinarian with the Indiana Board of Animal Health. If you want to join the conversation, and a lot of people joined it in the first mm-hmm. half of the show, so we hope we'll have you uh, weighing in here in the second half, 855-0811 or 877-285-9348. And also the web address is wfiu.org slash noon edition. Can I ask just one quick question? Is this a state's rights issue, one that the state can decide on its own? Yeah, it's a great question because in 1987, the FDA said there will be no interstate sales of raw milk. And so that left it to the states to make these judgments. And frankly, that's one of the tasks that uh, the Board of Animal Health is undergoing right now is evaluating what all the other other states are doing since it becomes their prerogative. And frankly, whatever Indiana should decide, it won't be unique because it is all over the board. Mm -hmm. States have Mm -hmm. taken all sorts of approaches to this particular issue, and that's because the FDA got out, if you will, uh, by prohibiting the interstate sales, so it became a state's task. Thank you. I saw one uh, one note this morning in in my research that said that a bill uh, in New Hampshire was on the governor's desk that that basically raised a cap for – the amount of raw milk a backyard dairy could sell it was between five that raised it from five gallons to twenty gallons so they were basically saying okay we're going to allow this but only small amounts from backyard uh, backyard dairy so and i'm sure there are as you said there are many many other states uh it says uh, the sale of raw milk is still legal in 28 states so there are a lot of states where there's some legality to it it is and once those once those rules are in place, those particular statutes in their state, there may be special conditions on on health of the cows, handling of the product, labeling of the product, the mm-hmm. containers that it has to be in, the cooling temperatures. So there are lots of things generally associated with that. And many of those are trying to address the the public health side of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, if that opportunity is provided for individuals to buy raw milk, then what, what procedures need to be in place in order to make sure it's as healthy as it can be? Mm-hmm. Luann, uh, you've been uh, in, sitting on the phone and you've heard a lot of conversation from this end in the last 15 or 20 minutes. Is there anything you, that you've heard that you wanted to react to and haven't had a chance? Well, I, I, there's a, a couple things. Um, first of all, the um, presentation of Larry saying that you have your local milk, and then you have um, industrial milk, I think. Was that the word you used, Larry? Um, you know, I, I don't really know what that means for sure. I know that, you know, I milk. I have four sons. Um, we milk 125 cows right now in LaPorte County, and it's a family operation. And our cows are on pasture part of the time, but they're under roof for a good part of the time as well. And we feed them. Um, what I call incredibly healthy ingredients. It's stuff that we grow ourselves here on our farm, and we also mix it with some other commodities. And, you know, I'm not sure what word commodity brings in people's minds, but it isn't all grass, but it is incredibly healthy. We have healthy cows that produce healthy milk. Our quality numbers are regulated by Dr. Marsh's office. We're regulated for bacteria counts, uh, something called a somatic cell count, Um, There's a lot of regulations. The Pasteurized Milk Ordinance has over 300 pages that we have to comply with. So there's a lot of regulation that a farm like ours, a very, what what I would call a very small farm in the state of Indiana, and yet we're very, you know, we work really hard to make sure that the milk we produce is 
is good, excellent quality, and out there. And, and I must say, most of the milk in Indiana that you purchased at a grocery store in Indiana was produced by a dairy cow in Indiana. So that's a pretty local thing as well, and, and I think it's important to point that out. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I, I think, you know, people have different motives for why they do things, and I think Larry has very strong motives for why he wants to drink and provide raw milk for his family, and I'm not, I am not um, criticizing that at all. But I also think that people need to realize that it isn't a good versus bad. That milk that is on the grocery store at Walmart or at any store is healthy, and it has a lot of wonderful nutritional benefits. I think it's important that people know that. They're not making a bad decision by purchasing that milk. Now, we do know that there is differences in people's digestion, and some people can't tolerate a lot of milk, and there may be reasons for that. I don't know. I hear a lot of anecdotal stories, and I have yet to see a lot of good, hard evidence for why those things why those things occur. I think there might be more to it than just pasteurization. Um, I think that sometimes people who sell pasteurized cream line milk, which is milk that isn't homogenized, also can have some health benefits. And, uh, you know, I, I think it's wonderful when people want to know more about their food and want milk that is less processed. I, th- I think that's a good thing. But I am what Larry called a commercial dairy herd, and believe me, I want what's best for my family, too. We have wonderful access to good, healthy food, and I think most people have access to that as well. I, just, I wanted just to make that point that by people going into a large grocery store and purchasing a gallon of milk, that is not a bad choice. That's a good choice. Okay. Thank you, Luann. I wanted to give you the opportunity. And Luann, I apologize if, if you thought that I was uh, somehow uh, demeaning what you do in any way, that wasn't my intention at all, but rather just to say that, yes, there's a huge, huge scale that Dr. Marsh has to deal with here, everything from a very small number of cows being milked to hundreds and hundreds. And so, yes, there's a very mm-hmm. wide spectrum. And all we're saying is, you know, it should be, the consumers should get to kind of have an, a, a choice in, in where their products come from. I think a lot of consumers uh, would be just fine drinking milk from your operation, but they might not be fine drinking milk from an operation um, even smaller than yours where the cattle are pretty much kept uh, inside all the time um, and fed TMRs. So, um, and, and then also there are much larger operations than yours that some people would not be uh, comfortable with, with uh, drinking milk from. So it's just more of a matter of transparency and people having a choice, I think, is, is the, the point. Okay. okay, we have uh, phone numbers I want to give you, 855-0811 in Bloomington, 877-285-9348 outside of the Bloomington area, wfiu.org slash noon edition is the web address to go for a live chat, and Jack is on the phone from Jack from Ellettsville. Jack? Yeah. Hey, go uh, ahead. What I was, what I was wondering is that uh, I lost Uh-oh, we don't have a very good connection Jack. Jack, can you repeat that, please? We can't hear you too well. Uh, I don't know if you're on a cell phone, if you could get to a place where we can hear you a little better. Yeah. Is there any place in Indiana where you can get goat milk processed? Can you get goat milk processed in Indiana? Yeah. Okay. We do have a couple of sites in Indiana that milk goats. Uh, We have one uh, that does seasonal milking of goats in the east central part of the state. We also have a large goat herd, and by some definitions, there are several hundred goats being milked in uh, southern Indiana and uh, cheese-making operations. But as far as producers that are not uh, that don't have processing on their farms, it's pretty difficult to get that done if, uh, unless you're doing it yourself, so to speak. It's, uh, it's difficult to transport uh, goat milk to get it processed. So, and the ones that I'm aware of, uh, you could inquire of them directly, and offline we could offer the, that information to you on those sites in Indiana. But there are some folks who are, are milking goats in Indiana and, and doing it quite successfully. Okay. Well, because I heard about somebody... One time, said so they froze their milk, and then after they got some less, they took it to a dairy and had it processed. And as you know, we're kind of our dairies are processing plants are getting smaller and smaller. I used to work one year ago, named Sprig, and we've lost Sprigs, we've lost Johnson, mm-hmm. uh, everything on troughs went to Deans and and all that. And it's just somebody had to got bought out by bigger companies, and that's kind of bad, you know. I I like to. 
see some of them come back, but I don't guess they ever be. <laughs> you never know. Hey, we've had some online comments come in. Um, here's one that says, I love raw vegetables, but I want my meat and eggs cooked before I eat them. Um, here's another comment. Should mothers breastfeeding their babies have their own breast milk pasteurized? Hmm, good luck with that. Uh, let's see. Uh, here's another Anybody one. Anybody have a comment on that? <laughs> I don't think so. Run away. Don't comment, guys. Take it from me. Um, let's see. I think uh, here's another comment. This one from Mary. I think folks should be able to choose if they want raw milk or not. Other states are doing it without bad effect. Uh, somebody want? Oh, uh, this is, uh, Larry, this is based on your comment. What are TMRs? I wondered the same thing. Uh Dr. Marsh could probably explain this a lot better than I can because since we don't use them, but then I was just referring to a total mixed ration. It's just a feed that's mixed together to have the right proportions of protein and, and other nutrients and ingredients. So it's, it's not uh, the animal out foraging for itself. It's just brought to the animal, and it's a, it has the, uh, the right mix of, of, uh, of nutrients. Okay, it. great. Thank you. And here's where we stand on some of our uh, polling. It says, should raw milk be legalized in Indiana? 17% of respondents think yes. Uh, seven, uh, 33% feel that yes, but in a limited way. And 50% feel no, it should not be. Uh, another question we've asked is, what would be the west, best way to have raw milk available for sale in Indiana? We have a 60-40 split on that one uh, where, hold on a minute, let's move data. Okay. 40% feel that on-farm on milk sales only, and 60% feel it should, it should be widely available. Can I address the legalization Absolutely, issue in general? Yes. Yes, I think this is, this is interesting because this is not as clear-cut as people might think either. I don't think all uh, proponents of drinking raw milk or even being able to buy raw milk or get access to it necessarily think it's a good idea to legalize raw milk. Um, and all people who would not want it legalized um, you know, likewise, they, they might actually um, have a, a different view than you might think. For instance, I mean, if, if, if I'm pro-raw milk, I don't necessarily um, want more regulation on what's going on with raw milk. So um, uh, we have to realize that when we, when we legalize something, we're also regulating it. Mm-hmm. Regulating, regulating it by just virtue of regulating it, we're going to increase the barriers to entry for a lot of small, um, small producers. And so the, the people you have, the milk is going to be available from are typically going to be larger producers in that kind of an environment, highly regulated environment. In California, where it's legal, you have, I think, mm-hmm. ma- one major producer in California, a huge state like that. I think there may be two, but one of them is much larger. And so, you know, people have to kind of decide, do I really want all my milk coming through this, this current supply chain that we have, or do I want to be able to go to a lot of different small operations and, and meet the farmer and see how it's being produced. So that's the reason why a person who's pro-raw milk might not want it legalized. On the other hand, somebody from on the other side in the regulatory environment, um, you know, they, they may not want to see a lot of a proliferation of a lot of small um, small farmers getting into this as it becomes more popular. Mm-hmm. First of all, it's a huge burden in mm-hmm. terms of their organization being able to keep track of what's going on with it from a public health perspective. Um, and then, you know, there's, there's the industry that already exists that you have to be concerned about protecting in terms of just, you know, disrupting that, the, the current state of things. So um, I think it's much more compli- complex than, than we might think. And indeed, that's the case. It, it is complex. And uh, the, the more you peel back the layers of that onion, the more complex it becomes. Uh, for example, just as your survey would indicate, some are okay at uh, sales at farm level. Some are saying, well, can I sell it at a farmer's market? Mm-hmm. Uh, can I sell it at the local grocer? And so all of those, as that changes, uh, people have different opinions about how that should take place. Uh, some states do say it can only be on farm, and the buyer has to go to the site, so you basically get a visual inspection, if you will, mm-hmm. of that site. Do you bring your own container? Is a container provided for you? And some of the things that we talked about before that become pretty complex pretty fast. For example, if I live in downtown Bloomington and I the only cows I'm aware of are the ones I drive by on 37 on the highway or something, uh, should there be some labeling to that? Should mm-hmm. there be some caution labeling? So this is a raw and pasteurized product. Just be aware that there could be organisms in it that could uh, produce uh, illness in you or your family. It's much like what you have on a restaurant with the asterisk at the bottom of the menu that says raw and undercooked foods uh, could mm-hmm. produce illness in you and your family. So it, it gets complex very quickly. Uh, we've had even reports that have come in from Europe where they sell raw milk in vending machines. 
you know, so you can on the street uh, buy a container of raw milk from a vending machine. So there are lots of options that are out there. And again, trying to strike that balance between a person's choice to consume and the public health challenge that goes with that. And uh, just as some of your commenters and callers have said, well, I grew up on raw milk. Uh, We milked our own cows and that sort of thing. But when you move it from the site where it's milked to someone else, Uh, and making sure they're properly informed and understand what that product is. That's where it becomes a little bit more complex, as Larry's indicated. All right. We have two callers we're going to get to, and I know there are some people who are commenting online. So I think Paul is next in line. Paul? Uh, Good afternoon. Um, I am a a shareholder of a a dairy uh, cow in the last year. Um, I'm a little bit older, so it's sort of new to me in terms of going organic and all that. Um, and I've really enjoyed uh, the unpasteurized milk. But I think part of this, though, as to the lady that uh, represents more of the uh, uh, dairy association side of things is um, their ability to lobby and have um, limit the choice of people um, getting raw milk. Um, the one thing that uh, led us to uh, going this way is the amount of hormones and antibiotics that are injected into dairy cows to enhance the milk production. And I think that that's something that in our consideration was going organic or more natural uh, ways, it's a choice. And with the lobbying power of the Dairy Association limiting that choice, that's the part that I, I get frustrated with. Um, it should be a choice, not not limited. I agree with you know all, all sides, and it should be a choice. I think um, uh, trying to limit that choice is um, a problem within our system. Luann? Yeah, you, sure. I'd love to comment okay. on that. Thanks a lot. I, I pre, you bring up such an important point, and and I think that there is so much misinformation about a couple of things that you said there that I would be just delighted to say something about it. First of all, as a dairy farmer, I cannot tell you how important it is to me to know how our cows are treated and what kind of antibiotics, if any, are used on our farm. My husband happens to be a veterinarian, so I know a little bit about this. But Dr. Marsh knows an awful lot about antibiotics and milk, and that's because it's not allowable. Every single tank of milk that we sell, 100%, has a sample drawn, and it has to test negative for antibiotic residues before it is even allowed to be unloaded at the processing plant. And that's really important, because if it would by chance happen to be positive, and that's never happened on our farm, but if it would, that milk is discarded, it is thrown away, and it never enters the food supply. And that is, you know, that's a pretty important point. So when people say they're concerned about antibiotics in milk, you know, I know what is going into that. But it also allows me to treat a calf that's sick that will not be a dairy cow for two more years. And if that animal is sick, I can treat that animal with an antibiotic and I can watch it get better. And I think it's important that we have those choices as well. The other thing is, he mentioned hormones. And I really think it's important that everyone knows that there are hormones in all milk, in the raw milk that Larry and his family choose to drink. And frankly, I drink milk all the time, too. And it all has hormones in it. And if, if, you know, I think it's really important to know that, you know, hormones are not necessarily a bad thing. And added hormones, well, frankly, there aren't very many added hormones used at all in Indiana. Most of us, and our farm included, have signed a pledge promising not to add any any hormones to our cows, and and we do not. So, you know, that that is already an issue. Most people can see that on the the least expensive milk they can buy in a store will say on it that it doesn't have any added hormones. Now, but there are hormones in all milk, and, you know, I think it's important to know that the hormone level varies more cow by cow depending on when she has recently given birth. You know, hormones are just a natural part of biology. It's not necessarily something that industrialized farmers are doing to the milk. And I think there's just way more misinformation out there on those subjects than there are accurate information. I, I would agree, I, Luann. Um, do you know how many of the antibiotics um, are actually tested for by the state of Indiana? Well, Dr. Marsh, I'm sure, can do that, but the major families are all tested for. There are, it's not every antibiotic, because there are some antibiotics that are never used on a dairy farm. 
And so it doesn't even make sense to test. There isn't even a product. I mean, look, we're a veterinary office. I've got 100 antibiotics on my shelves. The ones that we dispense to our clients for use on dairy farms are all tested for. Um, okay. I, just, I think some people are concerned about this not uh, you're right, there's a lot of misinformation because they hear things like uh, the FDA has approved subtherapeutic doses of antibiotics for uh, whole classes of animals. For instance, chickens being fed tylosin as a part of their daily diet. And we know from studies that that produces um, antibiotic resistant bacteria in most of those chickens. So people hear that and they, they assume that that's the same, the case for Indiana, which it may not be, or it's the case for every every class of animals or dairy, which it may not be. So I think that's an excellent point that you made. But those concerns are out there because our very own FDA and USDA sometimes um, back up those decisions and have backed up right. those decisions. So and that's that, an there's interesting a, there's point a, there's as a trust well, issue that product, there. Thailand, is a product I know of. We don't even have it in our pharmacy here for dairy producers, and it's not being used on farms. So, uh, you know, a lot of things are said, but, uh, you know, i I, I got to tell you, I have a lot of confidence in the safety of our system. And, and Dr. Marsh, I know, can talk about that because his office is overseeing all those testing methods. Yeah. Also, with regard to hormones, um, we, we do know from studies that the animals, I think this is a problem. I think it was a while ago, a couple of years ago, that the uh, Farm Bureau lobbied against being able to label milk um, for consumers as being, um, as not having, you know, the cattle were not, treated with BST um, hormones. And so uh, they didn't want that transparency there because they said it would be too confusing for people. Uh, yeah, but people want to know, people want to know, can, I, can I finish my... Ago, but as of now, I don't know anybody that has that standpoint. That is one of those issues that has pretty much gone by the wayside. And we are all in favor well, of having the milk labeled at this point. I well, don't know anybody that's fighting against those well, fortunately labels we won that. now. Fortunately, we won that. But the, the issue is, you know, the, the, one of the issues that was made was, well, hormones in, are in all milk naturally. But the issue isn't always just what's in the milk. The issue is the way the animals treat, are treated. And we know that animals treated with BST... Um, have more mammary, mammary gland infections and, and foot problems um, from the research. And so sometimes it's not just what's in the milk, it's just how the animals are treated. And I think people just want to know. They just want to have some insight and some transparency from our state, um, our state representatives and policymakers that they can know what's being done with the animals. All right, our phone numbers. Let me give our phone numbers again. Uh, we have about five or six minutes to go in the program. 855-0811-877-285-9348 if you're not in Bloomington. And the web address is wfiu.org slash noon edition. More comments have come in online. Uh, this is from Chris. He says, why does it seem like the government is attacking raw milk more than other foods? The language used against it is so strong, yet you don't see anyone advocating, for example, that raw cantaloupe be taken off the shelves. And then almost by way of an answer to that, um, uh, another writer, uh, Elaine, says, remember, many children died years ago because of unpasteurized milk. Um, here's another comment from Annie. I love hearing how passionate Luann is. Passion usually comes from the pro-raw milk camp. Enjoying hearing the other side of the matter presented with just as much passion. All right. Uh, Larry, did you have... Yeah, on Elaine. What was Elaine's comment again? I wanted to comment on that. Uh, I think Elaine was concerned, uh, said that children had, many children had died. Yes, she's absolutely right. Um, You know, I think this is one of the the disadvantages that we have looking at this historically. We have short memories, and in this case, it's a a century-long memory, you know, back in the the early 1900s of uh, the milk that was being produced in large cities. As people moved into urban environments, there were still horses in these streets. There was manure everywhere. There were large... um, what was known as swill dairies, set up next to the alcoholic beverage producers, and the swill, the, the used spent grains, were being fed to the cattle, which made them, you know, and this was their exclusive diet, no TMR there. And so the milk was very unhealthy, and there was a lot of disease. The water systems were also very unhealthy, and they were watering the milk with this, this, with this unsanitary water, and there wasn't the kind of refrigeration that we have nowadays. So mm-hmm. those are, it's a valid point that there was a problem with milk at one time. Um, however, I think you have to look at it in this proper historical context. All right. We need to go. Oh, Brett, go ahead. Yeah, and I think it's important that we understand, just as Larry's mentioned, there's a, there's a lot of old, old history. But uh, the reality is the, the dairy industry uh, has, has advanced tremendously. And Indiana, for example, is, is a dairy state. Uh, we may not be identified as a dairy state, but we're 14th in the nation in fluid milk production. 
we're number two in the nation in the production of ice cream right here in Indiana, for example. So there's a lot of dairy products. Uh, <laughs> this makes Bob and I very happy. Yeah. Yeah. It makes a lot of people happy. And so it's, it's a significant industry to our state. There's been a lot of efforts to make sure that cow health and care is of utmost importance, uh, producing a healthy and wholesome product. And indeed, there, there are lots of options out there for people. We've heard about UHT, ultra-high temperature products. Uh, you can go to the dairy case at any grocer, and there's a wide range of products that are available out there. But I think there, there is still an overriding concern uh, from the public health community and uh, that, that, there, that milk is a high-risk product that we need to be aware that there are products out there, including milk, that we need to be cautious about, uh, that uh, we're not trying to say you should not or could not and therefore shall never. But on the other hand, uh, are you aware of what those consequences are? I have received phone calls from people uh, in urban Indiana, and I can hear the children playing in the background, and she is a local distributor for raw milk products. And I know the farm where it's come from, and I, uh, I'm not sure Larry would consume milk from that farm. It's one that you have to be careful about, and as long as people are aware, uh, we need that's part of the whole advisory challenge that we're met with at the Board of Animal Health to make sure that we've we've done our research so when we report back to the legislature that they have the best of information possible. And the bottom line is the legislature is the one who will decide. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Board of Animal Health will not. It's a legislative <laughs> action. Kathy, you're next, and we only have about a minute and a half. Okay. Um, I, am I on now? Yes, or? you are. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, I, I was wondering, um, I've been buying um, milk with sometimes saying organic and sometimes not having the label organic but saying no hormones added. And I'm curious as to the difference and what that no hormones added especially phrase means. Does that mean no hormones are added to the feed of the cows? Does that mean no, no shots are given? Or does that mean after the milk is produced there are no hormones added to the milk? Luann, can you answer that very quickly? You bet. Um, so the, there are the, the product called RBST is a hormone that is sometimes given to cows to increase their milk production. It's an FDA-approved product. I currently know zero co-ops in Indiana that are allowing that product to be used in fluid milk. And so you can see that listed um, on, on conventional, the, the most value-priced milk available doesn't have that in there, okay? okay. The second thing is... Very, very quickly, please. Okay. The second thing is that um, organic means that no cows have been given any antibiotics, and they are not, they're, they're on pasture more often. It's a different production method. It's not any difference in the milk. The milk is compositionally identical. Okay, that's the last word for today. We are out of time, and we have a lot of things we could have gotten to. I want to thank uh, Brett Marsh, Larry Howard, and Louie Ann Troxell for being here with us on this discussion today. For Mary Catherine Carmichael, producers Gretchen Frazee and Julie Raw, and engineer Mike Pashkash, I'm Bob Zaltzberg. Thanks for listening. Noon Edition is a production of WFIU and the Herald Times. A podcast of this and other WFIU programs is available at WFIU.org. Production support comes from Smithville, a locally owned business serving central and southern Indiana since 1922 with residential and business internet, voice, and security services. Smithville, local pride, global technology. Information at smithville.net.